Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Now, back to the morning spiel. Brought to you by Royal Water on WKMZ. The show must go on, as they say. Not for Matt Canada, but the show must go on for the rest of us. Mike Osti of West Virginia Sports Now joins us here in the, well, not in the studio, joins us over the phone. Uh, but Mike, welcome in. And I, I promised the audience I'd ask you a quick question about Matt Canada since I know that you uh, pretty extensively covered the Steelers during a portion of your, of your career so far. Uh, your colleague, Alan Saunders, I think has, has made, done pretty good research that indicates this may very well be the first midseason firing of a coordinator in the history of the franchise. I believe I saw Hall of Fame Steelers reporter, who's now been retired, Ed Bouchette, say that this is one that dates way back to the Chuck Knoll days, and I think he brought up one way back then that may have been a similar situation, but that would be the only situation that would even compare. So, yes, the Steelers are a franchise that never pulled the plug mid-season, either the first time ever or way since then, so... I'd have to double-check my research. I certainly trust Alan Saunders, my colleague with Steelers now. But, yeah, the Steelers, they joined the new age. The Steelers, despite being successful, and maybe some argue not as successful as they should have been over the last decade or so, because obviously the playoff wins have been minimal, and some could argue they've underachieved with some talent, even though now they're trying to build it up again. They've never been a franchise that wanted to be knee-jerk. But, you know... 10 points on the board, losing to the Browns with a backup QB, a year and a half of the offense puttering away with now first-round draft picks that people are mostly out on trying to save his career. And even you know before, they finally joined the new age. So, yeah, Matt Candid no longer had the excuse of Ben being older and the O-line being weak or even having a rookie QB. The offense continuously has been getting worse. So – I did not think they would ever do it. I certainly did not think they would ever do it mid-season. I did think this probably would happen in the off-season, but I did not think it would happen mid-season. They pulled the plug, enjoying my morning coffee with my daughter, and I see the news at the double take. I thought maybe it was a, a fake account. <laughs> and no, Matt Kanda is fired, and I will say my initial reaction was a couple twofold here. Number one, this puts tons of pressure on Kenny Pickett. I never thought he would get benched after the Browns game. But if he flounders now without the scapegoat, there's no one else to blame, and there's already a lot of picket defenders who are out on him. And then number two, this does show the Steelers are now crawling to the modern era because even other historic franchises like the Steelers have made decisions like this, firing coaches midseason. It also could probably mean, though, that they're done in terms of being a contender this year because you're going to have a QB needing to learn a new guy, even though it'll be an in-house situation. I believe Fickner is being promoted. So it'll be in-house. How much will change will be interesting, but is this going to be the 2012 Ravens where they fire an OC and they go win a Super Bowl? I highly doubt it. So we'll see what happens with the future of the Steelers. But Matt Kanda, I do hear there's an opening in the Big Ten with uh, with Penn State in the market. We could still cover him, maybe, as I say that jokingly. Uh, I think there's an opening at Iowa, too. I think they need an offensive coordinator. I'm pretty sure oh, they-, they do, and he's had some, some days back in college. People say he has the college scheme down, but not the NFL. So go back there to college. 
But it was even a short release. I don't know if you saw the statement. It was like three sentences. It was pretty much, yeah, it was a legit firing. They, were, they featured endeavored him, wished him the best. And as I told you off the air, death taxes and Steelers fans will find a way to hate the new offensive coordinator. <laughs> but at least the Matt Candace saga has come to an end. They kind of buy felicia him, huh? Well, they, they, they really did. Yeah, that, that was something they wrote up today. It was not. It did not look like they knew this decision in their mind last night. They waited until the morning for the decision, and they spent hours trying to write up this manifesto to appreciate somebody who did some work there. No. <laughs> it looks like they made a decision. They had their copy. They had their Cheerios, and they wrote this up on a napkin, <laughs> you know, while I'm reading the news. So... They make the decision nonetheless, and yeah, I guess Rooney's had to get involved. I, again, I did not think they would do it midseason. I, I did not think they would do it mid Certainly now as we lingered on, but you lose to the Browns, I guess, without Watson there, and your offense goes nowhere despite a couple big runs from Jalen Warren. There's only so much you can do. But the weirdest thing is, I, I believe I even told you this on the air, that I thought his best game that he called was the Tennessee game. Right, so right. A, a recent big game for the Steelers, he did do well. But a couple weeks later, he's now fired. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, it's funny. I think you said three sentences. It is a liter- It's a two-sentence statement. Matt, Court- Matt Canada has been relieved of his duties as offensive coordinator. I appreciate Matt's hard work and dedication, and I wish him the best moving forward in his career. Mike Tomlin, head coach. That's fantastic. That's that's the, yeah. There you that go. Is, <laughs> that is a that is a full-on future endeavor situation right there. I guess he should be happy he got sentences and not just one word. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, Matt Candace gone, and I feel like this has sent shockwaves all across the football world because, again, the Steelers of all teams, successful or otherwise, they have been the most resistant to doing what they believe is knee-jerk things, and Tomlin even preaches they do not act in knee-jerk manners. Maybe they don't feel this is knee-jerk, though, because, as I said, we're well into a season. This has been bad the last couple of years. There were excuses of why bringing him back then, but... Yeah, the Steelers fire a coach in the middle of a season, and as polarizing as some other seasons have been over the years, they never pulled this plug in this way. Yeah, so, crazy, really uh, crazy. I, I, it's especially, I was talking with Alan yesterday, and he was like, I don't, "They just don't do this. This is not how they behave." And uh, I know, and, I try to yeah. preach this to people, and no one ever wanted to hear it. But I guess they were right. Yeah, well, there. Listen, eventually, right? Eventually, it has to happen. Like, if it can happen, it eventually will happen. And so, the Steelers finally uh, accede to Murphy's law. That said, uh, let's move on to the Mountaineers, who are coming off a, a pretty big win over the weekend. One that I think uh, most people, again, you look at the way that they've been winning since the four and one start. Uh, obviously, some concerns over some of the losses, but you look at the wins. The wins have all been comfortable they have all been dominant they have all been uh games where for the most part since he was a little more in this one uh for for a period of time where the score may maybe doesn't totally reflect how close it was for how long it was uh but at the end of the day the mountaineers pulled away and kind of really dominated in the second half so here we are now they walk into this next one seven and four a new week and i guess let's start here we we like to do this every week what's give us the vibes check of this mountaineer program uh between the head coach and the players and the staff what what's the vibe what are the vibes looking like right now how do they feel the the vibes are better than the professional franchise up north right right now for sure the vibes are pretty good i i 
compared this to even covering the program last year around the same time, around the holiday season, Thanksgiving break. We're normally sitting there trying to figure out how the, the season kind of unfolded. And last year, a lot of it was, what's your favorite side dish? Or do you like the stuffing inside the bird or outside the bird? And those questions were asked in the midst of other legitimate questions. But the reason why they were asked is we were throwing some admitted softballs to a coaching staff that maybe could have had the plug pulled on them. The season was going nowhere. There was not much for them to be thankful for or be celebrating. It was probably a funky Thanksgiving and holiday season, knowing the mess and the drama they were about to experience, and they all ended up staying. But that was kind of the vibe last year. You fast forward to this year, none of that was asked. None of that was asked. Nobody has any idea of anyone's side ditches or, or white meat turkey or dark meat turkey. They didn't ask us. It was straight football, it was straight about the game, and a lot of it was about what's to head and how they really want to have a quality season and end it with the chance at nine wins, including the bowl. So the vibe checks are good for the West Virginia program. They're not perfect. I mean, Neil Brown did say, though, when somebody actually did kind of broach the question, you have these wins, you have comfortable victories, could win eight games in the regular season. You could win nine, including the Bulls. That is generally good for anywhere. But you did have that bad loss to Houston that I'm sure you went back, and then you weren't even in the game in Oklahoma. How do you rationalize those things being true and then stomping BYU, who also played Oklahoma very tough, blowing a game to Oklahoma State, who lost to UCF, a team that you ended up dominating on the road, which is a tough place to play, and then what happened to Cincinnati. And he did say that those moments are hard to get out of my mind. It is hard to, you know, to paraphrase, it is hard to get over those moments because this year could have even have been that much better. But overall, I think the players and the coaching staff realizes seven wins going into the final weekend, a chance at eight and then nine in the bowl, and most of the bowl matchups are favorable opponents. I've seen Syracuse and a few others out there. They've already fired a coach. Is a good year. Is a good year for the West Virginia program is a turnaround from last year, is a step in the right direction. Going from last week's conversation about Brown's future, I would be shell-shocked if he is fired now, unless Jimbo says I'll coach for free. And I think that that does create a sense of a little bit of relief, but they also did mention, yes, Baylor is not a good team, yes, Baylor's 3-8, and eight, but... They are not in any way a position to overlook anybody for the reasons I just alluded to about games they either didn't show up in or ended up losing. They got an upset to Houston, a bad team on their resume already. They cannot overlook Baylor. It is a tough place to play. It is a road trip. It is a situation where the road team usually has to stay almost an hour away because of the hotel situation in Waco. It'd be like staying in Pittsburgh and playing in Morgantown. It is not a great way to end a season logistically even though they are facing a struggling team that has kind of quit on the year and has maybe a backup QB who will start. But they want to have their singular focus on one week and trying to get the eighth win. But otherwise, the vibes are pretty good. Yeah, I would imagine that at this point, because you know, it is kind of different. We, we kept asking the question, you know, well, what does Oklahoma really have to play for? And, and they obviously answered that question in a number of different ways when uh, they went up against West Virginia and, and dominated that game. You know, so a similar question, if you want to pose it towards West Virginia, well, what do they really have to play for? Uh, a number of things. You got guys obviously playing for, for draft stock, but also, and I, I, I think where I'm curious how much we we know. I, I don't really recall anything being mentioned other than 
what Neil Brown said at media day, but do we know what the, what, like, has Neil Brown mentioned about goals that they set as a team this year? Like, did they say, hey, we want to win eight games or, hey, we want to win nine games? The only thing I remember him saying, I know at, me, at, at Big 12 Media Day, and he said, well, we're not going to finish last. Because you and I talked <laughs> extensively about that. You and I talked a lot about that. But I am curious, do we know, like, have they have they set goals for themselves that they have not met yet? No. And the reason why is Ren Baker, the athletic director, made that pretty clear it wasn't going to be a situation where they were going to publicize goals, or they haven't even admitted them to us that they sent them, you know, behind closed doors and discussed them behind closed doors. But this is a program that obviously, if they had another losing season, they would have cut bait, and this would probably be a, a turning of the page, and the vibes would be really, really bad. But unlike, say, bringing up Syracuse again, I was surprised to hear this too. I almost fell off of my couch as well. Their athletic director, after they fired a coach, literally said. Our goal was 7-5. and five. Once it wasn't attainable mathematically, we decided to move on. That is hard to hear. And I, it's not that it's unreasonable at Syracuse to have that be a good year, and I get moving on when you're not 7-5, and five, despite maybe still being a bowl team. But for having an athletic director literally come out there and say, we lose five games and I'm, I'm keeping it moving and I'm perfectly happy, that is hard to digest. And as you know, the West Virginia fan base, if they ever heard those words, would there would be pick pickets outside the stadium. It would there would be you know they would have torches out there. It, it would be hard to handle. And Ren Baker has also publicly said, even on my show, that he does not like to put win bars on anything because, as you know, things change during a year. If he would have came out there before the season and said eight wins is our bar, and then Zach Frazier goes down season-ending injury four plays in, or Derek Green never becomes who he's become or any number of things occur. You have several players carried off on a stretch in the middle of a game, which actually did happen in a victory against TCU. It would be hard for him to stick to those certain things. So, no, West Virginia is not a program, unlike Syracuse, that is willing to publicize a win total as a bar. They don't want to do that. They don't want to get held to a certain standard that fans say, well, I know Zach Frazier missed the whole year and he's your NFL pick, but you said eight wins, you won seven, you got to move on. They don't want to do that. So, no, they have not done that. They haven't publicized that. I don't know what they discussed behind closed doors. I would imagine, from what I know about the program and what I have heard people with the program say to me, to my face, off the record, they're not upset about an eight-win season. I don't even think they're that mad about a seven-win season. It does not mean they feel like that is the ceiling. They certainly realize the program has seen greater days. But to win seven, win eight, after five and seven, speaking of knee-jerk, Ren Baker is not a knee-jerk guy. He does really, really evaluate things, and that's kind of been whittled down below him. So no bar number, but 7-8 win season is not considered a bad one at West Virginia, and that includes having the bad loss at Houston because, as I've said to you numerous times, and it is the one you cannot defend, you can defend losing Oklahoma even if maybe you shouldn't have got beat down, but... There is no way to defend the Houston loss. That is a team that has never played well since playing you. <laughs> uh, and yes, they won with a Hail Mary, but they also outplayed you most of the game. So that is a loss that, that absolutely will sting. And if they lose to Baylor, they still should have had eight wins because they should have beat Houston. So that is one you can't get over. But there's no bar where before season they say it's eight wins. If it's six wins, that's not good enough. But if it's eight wins, we're okay. They don't do that. Well, to, to... There are programs that do. Yes. I've never really seen that before, but an athletic director to say that we won seven and five, 
is interesting. Well, so I, sh- I should clarify because I, I didn't want to interrupt because the answer was I still thought uh, pretty informative. I, I wanted to clarify. Neil Brown hasn't said like in terms of personal expectations, though, right? Like not so much like, hey, this is what the program expects. Or I'm going to lose my job. But just like him saying right. like his Neil, Neil Brown hasn't said like, well, we think we're good enough to win X amount of games. Well, he didn't again, he didn't put an exact number on things. But what he did say just yesterday on his weekly press conference after getting his seventh win is, I realize the history of this program and there's been tons of success, but I also realize what six conference wins would mean because six conference wins has been a bar that isn't hit by pretty much every season that the fans considered a successful one. Again, he didn't say that literally mentioning the fans, but the successful programs in West Virginia history a lot of the time include six conference wins. He has mentioned that. He did also make that, so that's certainly a bar that the program set entering the season. And he also even did kind of talk about how nine wins, and somebody asked him this, saying that, yeah, you won a bowl game, Neil, but seven wins is already your single high win total. You won six due to the COVID year in that Liberty Bowl win season. And that being a, a significant thing to him. Granted, that's, he did actually kind of answer that by saying, yeah, but seven wins is you know nothing to be satisfied over, to paraphrase that. So he's not satisfied. I think he does kind of get that he can't sit there and be the Syracuse AD and say seven wins, we're happy. But he did kind of make comments that six conference wins, nine overall wins. You know, he did mention the nine overall wins is something the program hasn't done in a while, even, I believe, since the, the, the Dana 10-win season that no one wants to kind of remember for whatever reason. <laughs> so that would be a bar. I mean, the West Virginia program winning nine games is hard to say that's a negative. I believe there's eight 10-win seasons in program history of 100-plus years. He would be one away from that. And obviously I know that, you know, back in the day, they only some teams only played seven games, other teams played 10. Now they're playing 12, 13, some play 14. But still, the number's the number. So he's well aware of the history of the program. He's well aware what the win total would be. He does not think nine wins will be bad. I don't think he thinks eight will be bad. I think seven will be rough to take because it will be back-to-back losses to Baylor and then the bowl game. But he's aware, but there's no win total bar that is ever mentioned that this is our goal to get here outside of the six conference wins. And they also did mention the players and coaches that, yes, six conference wins is exactly what they wanted. However, they can't get over that Houston game still. So, nor that nor game is, should they. Is one that I feel like is, is sticking with them more uh, than the Oklahoma game. Yeah, no, I I a hundred percent agree. I mean, that one, they not only did they not play that well in that game, but they they outside of a a truly bizarre series of events at the end of that game, uh, they get out of there on the road, not having played that well, banged up as all yeah, heck, if, and if still winning. Green helmet's not off, and there's not a fifteen year penalty. You will never be able to convince me. I don't care who it is. I don't care who it is. Peyton Manning in his prime is not throwing that ball directly into the end zone 15 yards further back. That, that would be record-setting situation if that would have occurred. It would have been right before the end zone, even if it was caught, because it clearly would have been probably, you get a tackle right there because you're right next to the guy. You have to have five people miss a tackle. So that penalty, and yeah, they played horrible prior to the penalty. It's not just on Green's penalty. But I think that's it. Like, they played so bad, they still should have won. And then a penalty that sucks made it a much easier situation. And then, of course, they covered it horribly for the Hail Mary. Yeah. It's hard to lose that way, even though they feel like they should have at least showed up 
Yeah. Uh, I don't want to overlook Baylor, and I'm sure the team is not as you alluded to, but uh, for the sake of... <laughs> they for, do not want to either. No. Yeah, for, for, the, for the sake of time, I'm going to assume that they're not going to overlook Baylor. Uh, what I would like to do, because we're, we're running a little bit low on time, I, I'd like to ask you just a quick question about uh, the bowl game situation. It's something I imagine we'll get a lot deeper into uh, next week. And I guess... Yeah. At this point, bowls are, you know, they're glorified exhibition games. And for certain players, they they represent one more data point if they're trying to uh, put tape together for a spot in the NFL or or get drafted in the NFL, even if they're underclassmen who are trying to put together, uh, uh, again, great game tape that they can put together for the following year's NFL draft. I am curious, though, do we think that the Mountaineers are going to have a full complement of guys, assuming health through the Baylor game? Is there... I know this is a little premature, but are there any whispers of guys who might not play in the bowl game? And again, I have no issue with this. I'm 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 pro players doing whatever they yeah. feel they need to do. But are, I'm just curious how at what level of strength will this Mountaineer program be going into that bowl game? Because uh, we obviously have seen that affect uh, this program and, and yeah. many others before. Well, and it's affected the West Virginia program before in similar seasons where they think they're taking a step. They think they're hitting a solid win total. They need to win the bowl game to get there. For example, the Will Greer experience. Two years, he's in the NFL despite not, you know, legitimizing himself as a starter, but two years, solid college quarterback to say the least, never played in a bowl game with West Virginia. And he did, you know, say he, he did sit out. He, he did say it was about the NFL draft and, you know, not about West Virginia. So that's happened. It will happen again. No, there's no one who's kind of hinted any of that. We did not even directly ask that because that's more of a question for after the Baylor game probably. We didn't even get into the transfer portal, things like that. Brown did say he'll get all those questions answered after the Baylor game. So that does tell us we'll probably have an availability because they wouldn't have to after the Baylor game. But no, nothing directly said. And the one player that would be in question for sure, because this is also a very younger team, Alex. Even look at my takeaways column after last week. A lot of youth involved here. Jaheim White obviously going to play. He's a freshman. Rodney Gallagher, Traylon Ray. Eric Green is still young and has more time. These players are not sitting out for the NFL. They either have many years left of college football or the NFL is not going to happen for them. So they're going to play. Most of West Virginia's roster, unlike the Booker year, will be there because, again, they're either younger or they're not NFL caliber guys. Zach Frazier, though, is an NFL slam dunk guy. His matchup in Cincinnati over Corleone shows that he is an NFL caliber guy. He ha- he won that matchup against an NFL defensive lineman, basically. That that was a big deal for scouts. I did hear that rumble. So he could sit out, but I will tell you, he's the one guy that has NFL on his mind in the future that I think may play in a mediocre bowl game because he is a West Virginia lifer. He's a West Virginia native. I heard Tony Creedy say that he turned down NIL money from Alabama. So if that's true, that's an even bigger deal. He's always talked about. He doesn't care about himself while in college. He does not want to leave this program last place. He wants to leave them better than where he got. And that would be certainly winning a bowl game. I think it would be a big deal to what this program has been the last couple years. And I think he wants to lift the trophy. Um, I think it would be a very emotional decision if Zach Frazier was told by his people to not play in that game. I think he would want to play just from talking to him, and I think he might even push to play. So, smart or not, and I don't blame anyone who puts their individual future in front anyway, because they should, he's the one guy that I'd want. Maybe Doug Nestor, too, because he's been banged up. But Zach Frazier's that one. that If he isn't there, that could be a big problem for, for still an experienced quarterback with a new center in a bowl game. But 
I would almost lean that he, he would play that game, even if maybe he shouldn't, because the NFL is clearly moving. Right. Hey, Mike, what are you working on before we let you go? Yeah, and of course, all our coverage over there at WV Sports Now. A lot of Ethan's coverage of the basketball game last night. We're speaking of blowing games. <laughs> we Yikes. blew that game to SMU. Yeah. A lot more of the football team as they wind down the season and go to the bowl. WV Sports Now is a site. Mike Drop, also my podcast, available every podcast, just did a full on in depth conversation about the Michigan scandal with somebody that knows Harbaugh very well. That was very interesting. That's up there. And Alex, I would just leave you with. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your listeners, and I hope that it gets appreciated as the greatest holiday of all time. Yes. it is the greatest holiday of all time, we can debate goats all day in every other sport, but <laughs> in terms of holiday season, Thanksgiving's the champion. It is the greatest holiday of all time. It is about food, family, and football, and that's it. And even if maybe you're normal with your family, who hates food and football? So that's what Thanksgiving brings to the day. Fully, fully agree. Mike, enjoy your Thanksgiving as well, especially as a uh, as a new dad. I'm sure that's going to be a blast. Yeah, man. Thanks. Have a great day. All right. See you, Mike. Mike Osti of West Virginia now or West Virginia Sports Now, a managing editor and host host of the Mike Drop uh, podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.